Welcome to the Futurati Podcast. Any member of the Futurati is somebody who believes in the power of the future. We know there's a better world ahead, and we indeed have the power to make it so. In our podcast, we talk to the best minds in the world about the most urgent problems facing mankind today, and we hope you learn as much from them as we do. I'm Thomas Fry, a professional futurist and keynote speaker. And I'm Trent Fowler, a machine learning engineer and author. Thank you for joining us. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Futurati Podcast. Tonight, we're joined by Joel Kamm. Joel is an expert in digital marketing, the New York Times bestselling author of 15 books, a consultant with more than 20 years of internet business experience, and a world-renowned crypto evangelist. If you enjoy this interview, please don't forget to like the episode and subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our new website, futuratipodcast.com. Joel Kamm, thanks so much for coming on the show. It is my pleasure. You know, I listened to one of your recent episodes on bad crypto, and mm-hmm. uh, it seriously gave me a headache because <laughs> yeah. uh, you were getting into some some really geeky, granular stuff. Yeah, you know, when we started the show four years ago, um, it was the attempt was to try to be every man's show, right? Because we didn't know what we were talking about. That's why it's the bad crypto podcast, not because crypto is bad. Right. Travis and I, you know, we we're not financial advisors. It's a crypto we podcast experts. that's bad. Yeah. And we tell a lot of bad dad jokes. You know, it's it, it's hard to get through one show without at least one fart joke in there somewhere. <laughs> it's just it's just part of, you know, it, we just take our conversations, who we are, and we just bring that to the public. And for whatever reason, um, we applaud those who who have stuck with us and, and listen, but we try not to be too heady and too high minded in the tech space because the show the is titled the show for the crypto, uh, the crypto curious and the crypto serious. So it's there's something in there for everybody. So I hope I didn't make your, you know, <laughs> your head explode too much. <laughs> No. By the way, you're looking more Santa-like than ever before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's been cultivating that uh, image for quite some time. Yeah, I kind of want to get in your lap in a not weird way and ask you for a pony or something. <laughs> Is there any not weird way to climb into a 67-year-old man's lap? <laughs> Just on one leg. Right. <laughs> so how did you uh, how did you get into to crypto? Why don't you tell us a little bit about that journey? You know, it's really interesting as a uh, futurist um, that that's the official label. The actual label is uh, I'm a 12 year old uh, looking to play with the new toys. And um, I always I tend to get to different tech first just because I'm so curious and like to play. And I remember hearing about Bitcoin probably 2012 or so. And in an alternate universe, that 2012 Joel paid attention to it and went down the rabbit hole and was fascinated with it then. Uh, But I was going through personal issues in my life and my business had taken a drastic turn. And for whatever reason, the basic concept of mining crypto did not resonate with my my feeble little cranium. I could not understand this concept of mining. What do you mean mining with your computer? I had this vision of little tiny people with their, you know, axes, <laughs> dink, dink, dink on the processor and out come coins. I just, I didn't get it because I didn't get it at that first pass. I just kind of I just ignored it. And it wasn't until uh, 2016 
I had more friends. Uh, Travis Wright was one of them who says, you know, what do you think of this Bitcoin thing? And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. And we didn't really go into it then, uh, but it was at a marketing conference in uh, March of 2017 in Denver my hometown at the time, that my friend Davin Michaels, who I've known from the marketing world for 13 years, um, asked me about it. And I was ready, right? You know, it was it was time. And all of a sudden, I was full on crypto curious. And once I understood mining, boy, the whole world opened up in front of me. Once I understood the, that this is math, that this is computers, you know, solving complex problems that are creating this currency, not out of thin air, but out of something more substantial than what our government creates the fiat currency out of. And once I understood it, it took me back to 2005, it took me back to the Consumer Electronics Show in January of that year. I had already been um, deep, deep into tech and bulletin board services and America Online and Prodigy and Delphi and CompuServe. And Tom is probably like, oh, yeah, I know all those. Uh, and it reminded that was the year at CES that I discovered the World Wide Web. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this publication that I'm putting on disk and uploading as shareware, I can put on a web page. And by July of that year, I had my first website up. And crypto, understanding how blockchain worked and what Bitcoin was all about, reminded me of that experience in 1995. I said, this is that all over again. This is going to be ginormous. And I knew I had to go in. So I bought um, my first piece of a Bitcoin in uh, May of 2017. And, uh, and I've never looked back. So, so one of the techniques, um, we have a course on uh, called Future Like a Boss that we teach on uh, futuring techniques. And one of the techniques we talk about is uh, uh, what I refer to as attractionary futuristics, which is there's uh, high probable events that are going to happen in the future. And if we can actually um, understand what these anchor points in the future are going to be, then we can start building around them and start understanding what's going to happen. And so I, I wanted to ask you a few questions uh, kind of regarding that. Um, By the way, that's so philosophical and so you, <laughs> you know, you, you are, that is quintessential Tom Fry right there because you are, you're a different kind of futurist than yeah. I am, right? right. You're, you're the guy looking at the data and examining the landscape and predicting for the rest of the world what's going to be the next big thing. I'm out there playing with the toys and going, oh, this is cool. Nobody's seen this yet. What does it do? And <laughs> yeah. then and if I find something that does something, I do it again. And then I become proficient in it. And other people come to me and say, how did you do that? Yeah. Right. It's a, so I call myself a functional futurist. It's the only functional part of my life. <laughs> so I was curious you, as to you what were, that meant. Yeah. 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 So you were going into a great question. Go ahead. Yeah. So the, um, one of the high probability events happening sometime in the future is Amazon and Walmart uh, uh, giving the okay to actually make payments in, in Bitcoin sure. or some other mm -hmm. cryptocurrency. Um, how will that change the landscape? What, what effect will that have? And how soon, well, I, how soon will that happen? Uh, you know, it's hard to believe that they haven't yet, but we're still in the uh, early adopter phase, right, of the tech curve, the bell curve. And I don't, we're not even halfway into that 
you know, as far, we're not even close to mainstream adoption here yet. You know, El Salvador was the first country to say, okay, now Bitcoin is a, um, a legit currency here in our country. Our government doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. You know, from the CFTC to the, uh, the FTC and the SEC and all of the, you know, alphabet agencies, the IRS, they don't know what to do with it. So we're still a long way off from mainstream and by long way off, I'm, you know, five, six years before we get to the early part of that, I think. Um, but Amazon is, is, you know, waiting. They don't have to hurry it. They're the biggest retailer in the world. You know, Walmart's right. killing it as they are. They don't, there's no compelling reason for them to say, hurry up and get on it because there's people everywhere waiting to spend their Bitcoin instead of, you know, use their credit cards. That, that demand isn't quite there yet, but I don't know when it will happen, but I agree 100% that it will happen. And it's just going to pave the way to faster mainstream adoption when it does. And of course, it's going to send the price of, you know, Bitcoin and whatever other cryptos they're going to accept, uh, they'll skyrocket. So um, taking it one step further, how long before you think banks will actually uh, be able to accept Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrencies and you'll be able to convert that at your local bank. When they know they have no other choice, <laughs> right? This is, we're, we're in a battle right now for yeah. the old world financial systems that are, um, you know, what is it? What's the saying that, uh, that they had first, they uh, laugh at you or then they ignore you then they fight you and then you win. I think something that's like that. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're past the part where they can ignore or where they can laugh. And yeah. so we're in the fight right now. And this is why many banks are turning away customers that are trying to buy crypto with credit cards because they want to hold on to the centralized power they have to control the money supply and essentially to keep their customers, um, you know, under their thumb. Right. So they can put out their high interest credit cards and, and you know, usury loans and they want to be able to charge uh, fees, $50 fee for a wire transfer that I can send for, you know, two cents and right. have it instantly done in crypto. Um, but we do see signs uh, throughout the world of the major banks uh, now creating their own blockchain initiatives. And that goes hand in hand with governments want to create their own federal currency right? right they don't want bitcoin to become the federal currency because then they can't control the money supply right uh, so we can expect a fed coin you know in the not too distant future um but i really do think i'm gonna go back to uh close the loop here with my original answer it's when they have to yeah so i i see a logical scenario in 2030 you you want to get a mortgage on a for a buying a new house and you have the option of getting a crypto mortgage or getting a, a traditional currency mortgage. And uh, it, it always occurred to me that whichever one comes through the quickest with the best terms is the one you're going to go with. Right. Um, so I, I, I see that happening sometime before 2030. They've just, they're going to have to pivot how they do business and they're going to have to become more consumer centric which means less profits for them. So they're going to, the, the smart banks are going to innovate and figure out, well, how do we capitalize on this, right? The first bank, the first major bank that says, hey, we're all in, guess what? They're going to get a lot of business from people who are ready to be empowered 
by cryptocurrency. You know, right now you can go on PayPal and buy you know, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, maybe one other coin, but it's in a walled garden. You can't take that Bitcoin off of PayPal. It just has to live there. It's kind of like Robinhood. If you buy Dogecoin on Robinhood, you can't send it off Robinhood. It's, they have the custodial wallet, which is completely against the spirit of cryptocurrency. Right, right. It's to be decentralized. I'm in control of my own money. But, you know, people don't know any better. And so they use those means. And I figure, hey, that's better than nothing. Yeah, that gets people looking at the technology and thinking about productive ways of using it. And I, I want to go back to something you said about adoption. You think that we are five to seven years away from the beginning of more widespread adoption. What are the major barriers to that uh, that, that you think are still in place? Well, the, the, the big financial institutions fighting against cryptocurrency and bureaucrats. I mean, it's Washington. I mean, to, just today, I think there were some hearings from somebody in the, the Uncle Joe Dementia administration, you know, talking <laughs> against talking against crypto and bashing it and saying people are getting hurt, you know, investors are getting hurt. What is this not crazy that we now live in a world where the goal of government is to protect us? I'm not talking about from invading armies because that was written in there into the Constitution, right? That right. our founding father said, hey, we will defend these borders. I'm talking about that what we can't be responsible with our own money. We need the government to come in and tell us what we can and can't buy. So the rich can invest whatever they want because they've got a ton of money, uh, but I can't go and buy a token or use an exchange and, and invest a little bit of money because I'm not rich. Oh, but I can go to the casino in Vegas or anywhere in the States and <laughs> blow thousands of dollars, you know, on the roulette wheel. It's insane. And there is a mindset now that has been uh, inculcated into the population that government is there to protect us from our bad choices, you know, and, and it's just, it's bad. It takes away personal responsibility from people and it strips us of our freedom. So the bureaucrats are part of the biggest problem in the way. And it scares them because, you know, when anytime you empower a population, especially financially empower a population, well, guess what? They don't need you to go to D.C. to, to get money for them so you can get your thousand dollars for, you know, four months of not being able to work. I mean, it's it's insanity. Yeah, it's always struck me that the early adopters of cryptocurrencies were the libertarian quants, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> of and, and these are the same the same group that are basically driving the movement into the metaverse, and, uh, and with uh, all of the interesting new tools like the the DAOs that are being uh, invented and uh, play to earn technology, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just I just find that uh, totally fascinating. So you you do a lot of work on NFTs, mm -hmm. and I, I'm curious as to how long before we actually have an NFT driver's license. Right. Uh -huh. I love. See, you're the guy. I knew that if somebody was going to get it, it would be 
you because people are looking at NFTs right now. It's the same thing that happens with all new technology, the naysayers and the pundits. This is a fad. This is tulips. This will never last. There's no practical application, blah, blah, blah. Same people that said Jeff Bezos was a fool for selling books out of his garage. And we remember <laughs> back then. And and I'm, I'm pretty sure that you looked at it in awe the same as I did and went, holy crap, this guy is gonna he's gonna make a mint <laughs> right because he he totally gets this online thing so i don't listen to those voices i don't read those publications i don't listen to those pundits because i know nfts are here to stay but right now you know people are just seeing the art and the expensive pieces and the pieces that make headlines i'm eyeballs deep in the space i'm seeing much more than that and i like you agree that the day is coming where uh, there will be NFTs of our driver's license, of our insurance card, of our home deed, of our car title, and so on and so on and so on. Um, there are forces pushing against that because what happens when you can use blockchain to create a more secure, more efficient, more effective means of doing anything? Well, that costs jobs. And yeah. there are people that will protect their industries mm -hmm. to their dying breath by laughing, by ignoring, by insulting, by fighting you to keep their um, income flowing the way they're used to it. And um, so I think because America is actually behind in the whole blockchain space, America, you know, is one of the most restrictive places as far as citizens being able to buy, sell and trade cryptocurrencies. Uh, and I don't see an end in sight to that anytime soon. We're going to be behind the curve. We're going to be behind China. We're going to be behind um, Singapore and, and we're going to be way behind El Salvador. That's like, hey, come here and uh, your crypto gains are all tax free. Uh, people are leaving the states. People who have any means are going, you know what, let me out of here. They're destroying our country. This is why I moved to Puerto Rico, which is still technically the United States. Yeah. But we have, um, because it's not a state, we have tax benefits and certain acts that we can participate so, in. So when China um, kicked out all the, the miners, uh, was that essentially a massive brain drain for China? Because I think it was a huge win for everybody else. Yeah. Right. Okay. I don't, you know, one of the things Bitcoiners don't like is while Bitcoin is very decentralized, a lot of the mining power and hash rate was there in China. And I'm like, great. They just made a huge mistake. See, they can't control it, um, you know, from their, their socialist top down government. And so because they can't control it, they don't have the vision to figure out how this could actually be good for the country. And so their means of controlling it is to say, stop it. Great. Bitcoin continues. That just means other people can mine it other places in the world. Huge, huge faux pas for them. And uh, Bitcoin is unstoppable money. So great. They can uh, disempower themselves and that's good for freedom. So I actually kind of want to stick with the NFT theme for a little while. And I was hoping we could just okay. back up a little bit. And um, I, I have a confession to make. I'm actually a data scientist at a crypto asset company. And I don't really know anything about NFTs or what they are or how they work. So could we just get like a high level overview of what an NFT is and, and sure. why it's more special than the, you know, monkey eating a banana JPEGs that are floating around? Yeah. So uh, NFT stands for non-fungible token course, something that is fungible means they're all the same. So if you were to say to me, hey, Joel, 
Um, you got a dollar bill in your wallet. Can you give it to me? I'd say, sure. And I'd open my wallet. And then I would look at you and say, well, there's a bunch here. Which one do you want? Right. Well, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that to you because they're all the same. It doesn't matter. One dollar is one dollar. They're all treated exactly alike. A non-fungible token, they are not. In the real world, something non-fungible would be a piece of real estate. If you said to me, hey, Joel, I want to buy a house. Now, when I say which one, there's meaning to it because each one is its own piece of property and its own particular XYZ coordinates on planet Earth with its own features and, and dimensions and so on, right? So that is, that's fungible. We are, are non-fungible creatures, right? There's right. no two of us that are the same. We're like snowflakes. We're yeah. all different and unique. <laughs> Some of us more snowflakier than others. Right. So in the world of, of cryptocurrency, um, NFTs are tokens that each one is unique. You could have some that look the same, but in the case of like a bored ape, um, let, let's say they all look the same. They don't. There's 10,000 board ape yacht clubs. They all look different, but let's say they all look the same. They still have a unique identifier on blockchain, their own unique ID code and mint number. So just like, you know, you might buy a piece of art that is signed by the artist and it's a numbered version and you might have number three of 75 and there's a certificate of authenticity on the back of it that says this is number three in a series of 75. Here's the certificate that the author, the, the artist validates that this is legitimate. Well, on blockchain, all of that data is captured right there at the moment of minting an NFT, creating it. And so you know that it is valid. And if it's in your wallet, that is the proof that you own this thing, whether it's a piece of art or whether it's a, you know, a, a cartoon of an ape. Um, you think of NFTs as programmable media. It's a box and that box can hold anything you put into it. It can, it can hold a document a PDF. It can hold images. It could hold animations, GIFs. It can hold videos. It can hold music. It can hold um, any kind of audio, video, any kind of data is in that NFT capsule. So now there's no disputing who owns what, what belongs to who. There's never, hey, I'll trade you my uh, Reggie Jackson card for your Ty Cobb card. Wait, that wasn't the, that wasn't the deal. It's on blockchain. It's all completely validated. The transaction is all there. Now, one of the things I love about NFTs, um, either one of you collect anything, you know, cards, trading cards or yeah, any my, other, you know. Yeah, my, my kids had uh, football cards. Okay, there you go. So you get these football cards and you buy a pack of them and out comes, you know, your, your Joe Namath or your Bob Greasy or whatever it would have been from, from back then. Walter Payton, go Bears. Uh, and what happens to those over time? What are some of the things that can happen to any type of collectible they like deteriorate that. and they fall mm -hmm. apart and get mm -hmm. get wet or get they get, lost. Mm -hmm. yeah, get smoke moldy. damage fire damage get lost or in my case um as much as i've forgiven my mother for this one day came home from school and two grocery bags full of baseball cards were in the trash they were gone forever oh, right <laughs> stuff happens um well the beautiful thing about nfts is those collectibles which right now you know nba top shot people are spending a lot of money on moments from nba people bought mlb's first nfts uh, that tops released on the wax blockchain and those collectibles they stay mint 
There's no degradation to them. They look just as beautiful as they did the day they showed up in your wallet. Um, there's no water damage. There's no fire damage. The only damage would be if you lose them, which you could do with a physical item as well. I was in my pocket. I was on my way to show it to somebody. It dropped on my pocket. It's gone forever, right? So if you lose the keys to your wallet, then um, you can lose your NFT. So always keep your keys and always keep them secure. And keys is just a fancy way of saying your password. Right. So is the value there just the same thing that drives the value of a collectible? It's just the fact that you have a provable, unique version of this? That's a scarcity, right? Yeah, there's definitely scarcity is a big deal. You know, we've minted um, in our various uh, IPs that we've created over a million NFTs on the Wax blockchain. And there are some in there that are one of ones. They're one of a kind. And if you have it, it's very desirable and valuable. There's others in there that there could be a thousand of the same one, each, each with its own unique identifier. Uh, but you know, with, when you look at the number of people that are coming to NFTs, those numbers are very small. What's really fascinating about it is you always know the provenance of an NFT. You know that it, you can tell a fraud from the real thing because you can tell the account that they were minted from if it's the legitimate verified account or if it's a fake one. And you could always see that this was minted from an account into a wallet and then that owner, uh, owner A, sold it to owner B. And now it's in their wallet and owner B held it for a year. Then they sold it to owner C. Now, if you're a creator, um, you know, when you think about, let's go back to tops and baseball cards, that 1955 Mickey Mantle card came in a pack, you know, in 1955 is rookie card. And they dumped most of them into the river because they overproduced them. And now that Mickey Mantle card is worth millions of dollars. Well, tops got the nickel or whatever it was, you know, from that pack of cards and never saw another nickel for it. With NFTs, every account, every NFT is tied to the creator account. And when sold through a secondary market, a piece of that goes to the creator. So every time it's sold, an NFT can trade hands infinite number of times, but we'll just use a, you know, attainable number for sake of an example, a hundred times. And every time it's sold from one person to another, a piece of that, anywhere from two and a half to 10% usually goes to the creator. And so now for creators, artists, musicians who have been completely castrated by the music industry and get nothing from Spotify. I mean, I heard that uh, Peter Frampton's uh, song, I don't know if it was Do You Feel Like I Do or one of the others, Show Me The Way, had something like 60 million streams on Spotify, and he got something like, get this, $1,500. <laughs> well, imagine musicians putting their music out in the form of NFTs where you've got real ownership and somebody buys it. That musician gets to keep all the money, less the very small marketplace fees. Um, it's, it's opening up a whole new realm for creators and empowering them, which again goes back to one of the tenets of the creators of blockchain and Bitcoin that are very libertarian. It's about empowering the people. Does that uh, put Spotify and companies like that out of business? Uh, I hope so. Okay. <laughs> I hope so. Eventually, right? The more artists say, wait a second, I don't have to play this game because now I have a means to do my own distribution and there will be major artists that step up first 
to say, all right, I am pulling my music. They no longer have a license to sell it on iTunes. They no longer have a license to put it on Spotify or Pandora. Can't do it. The only way to buy this is go buy the, the, the record, you know, from the record store or come here and buy this album in the form of an NFT. Okay. So I, I buy the collectible angle and NFTs for music and art is, I think, a, a fairly obvious use case. What are some of the more far out use cases of the technology? Like, presumably, you've, you've thought out 15, 20 years. What do you yeah. see coming down the horizon? Let's not go too far out. Let's, let's kind of stay present day for a moment because there's cool things that are happening right now. Um, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk is just an amazing entrepreneur, great mind. And he launched, he took the doodles that he had created of these different animals, um, you know, like the, the friendly fox. They all have this alliteration to them and there was meaning ascribed to them, uh, you know, uh, some sort of tenants, virtues. And he did these doodles. They made them in the NFTs. They called them V friends. They sold over 10,000 of them over the period of, I don't know, 10 days or so. Uh, and now they have in some cases, 20 X in value, because what Gary did is he said, buy any one of my V friends and you have a three year ticket to enter VCon which is going to, and that's the only way you get in is by owning one of these V friends, um, NFTs. And that's just the beginning. Some of them came with other experiences, which I think we're going to see a lot of creativity in this space. Uh, for example, one of the, the V friends NFTs entitle you to a 15 minute FaceTime with Gary. Another one entitles you to come out to his town and go to a winery with him, right? Have a wine experience. Uh, I own one called the gift goat. There was 555 gift goats that were offered and they were crazy, ridiculously priced. It cost $20,000 to buy one of these. But I looked at Gary and I knew that he's going all in on delivering value. I bought a gift goat. Um, there was five <laughs> Ethereum at the time. Ethereum was at $4,000. Today, you cannot buy a gift goat off the secondary market for under 42 ETH. How much is that? I'm pulling up my calculator at today's price. That's 140000 dollars. Why? Wow. Because by owning a gift goat, Gary is going to ship physical gifts that he has hand selected and curated to each holder at least six times a year for three years. Wow. And people are speculating with all of the contacts and business, you know, uh, associates he works with the companies, the brands that he's associated with, what's he going to send? And so the perceived value of this is, is through the roof. So the example here is tying something physical or intangible and experience to the NFT where owning this NFT becomes your membership card and unlocks these various experiences. So we're seeing all kinds of things from pudgy penguins to bored apes and these communities grow around these NFTs where part of it is about the art but the other part of it is about the experiences and the community that owning a piece of this art unlocks. And we're going to see a lot of this. 
So it's kind of like a bundle of a couple of different goods, right? And that's part of what's driving the price. So I mean, in addition to sure. the the gift goat, right, which is just the art, and people might justifiably not be all that impressed by a, you know, a five thousand dollar goat or whatever. It also comes, you know, bundled in with that is is access to to Gary Vaynerchuk or to whomever is putting these things out. And because Correct. it's on the blockchain, because you can verify your own ownership of it, then you're able to bypass any security concerns, you're able to access that and, and all of that is smoothed out the whole process. Right. Now, you know, one of the uh, the more popular art sites is called uh, Nifty Gateway, and it's uh, run by two uh, brothers whose business got acquired by the Winklevoss twins. And they run Nifty Gateway and they sell art every day. And uh, I want to show you guys something. If you can give me screen sharing abilities, I know that your uh, listeners won't see it, but I'm going to describe it to you once I'm able to show it to you. I bought a piece of art that I just it just tickled me. I thought it was super fun that this was available and um it is this guy right here it's called hats off by an artist <laughs> named alex solis and it's this animated character that looks like toad from uh super mario but then the top of the mushroom comes off and you see that what you thought was his eyes was really his nose and it's this really bizarre <laughs> looking character there underneath so so what's really interesting about this is that you can see there's 75 of them and I have number 49 by this artist. Well, the artist wanted to reward those who bought his NFT. So I got a box last week that had a little resin figure <laughs> in it oh. of the, the creation. So I'm holding in my hands and it's, it's substantive too. It's not plastic. It's resin. It's, you know, it's got wow. weight to it. And this little character now is, you know, a physical item. It's a reward that I got for having purchased this NFT. So that might make you think about ways to kickstart yeah. different projects, right? Because yeah. now this is what this is. It's basically kickstarting, um, you know, your work with an NFT charging whatever you charge and now you also get this thing and it doesn't have to be a physical thing it could be something intangible it can be an experience and there's no end in sight to what those experiences can be now it's really up to the creativity of the uh, the creator and the communities because as you mentioned earlier tom there's more DAOs that are rising up in uh, in this blockchain era and a lot of those DAOs are being formed around these communities of nft buyers so you know there could be eight thousand eight hundred and 88 of, uh, you know, one, one I picked up today was called Frogs in Disguise. <laughs> and there are these silly looking things. They've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, lore around it and why you're buying these and why they look like they do. But part of the funds they take in, they say they're contributing to the DAO and the community. If you own one, now you have a say, you have a vote. And where's the money going to be used? What activities and experiences are we going to create? And oh, so many of these projects that are launching right now are using a similar model, creating a decentralized autonomous organization that no single person is the you know CEO of it, but the community decides what's going to happen with the funds. Yeah, I've, I've been saying all along that the, the same technology that's automating jobs out of existence is the same technology that's going to be uh, uh, creating the jobs in the industries of the future. Mm -hmm. um, so while we, while people are quick to, to trash talk robots and, and AI and say how bad they are, they're, they're also going to be a means of support in our future. 
And I, th I think that's an a interesting way of looking at that. Yeah, you know, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? The AI and the robots themselves are amoral. It's what we as, you know, humans do with the, the technology. You know, they're implementing the social credit system in China. Uh, that is what I would call an evil use of technology, <laughs> ranking people based on their social interactions and then taking away rights and privileges that they might have to travel to leave their city to buy to you know to experience commerce based on how other people's rate them it's like that black mirror episode right. right where people are voting people up and down and there are those in america that would like to bring that same social credit system here talk about an orwellian dystopian nightmare so that's that technology gone awry but it can also be used to empower people so you're not in favor of gamifying citizenship <laughs> now, I, I think that uh, citizenship should actually be, if we're going to gamify it, it should be in terms of productivity, right? Um, like, hey, you want to come here to our country? Great. Come on in. How, are you, you going to contribute or are you just going to get on the, you know, the, the welfare system? Why are you here to um, be a, a citizen who works or are you here to steal from other people? You know, that's I'm, I, I think in its most basis form, you have to have some sort of control over, you know, your your borders. But I think that China has gone over the top. So the libertarian mindset that's driving the creation of the metaverse, I mean, this is moving from a two dimensional Internet that we have today to a three dimensional something that you experience that you actually move into mm -hmm. um, it. It appears to me that the current uh, tech giants that are out there are going to be pushed aside because nobody trusts them. Is, is Why? That... <laughs> Why would nobody trust? For completely Google? incomprehensible reasons, no one trusts yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> because they're pure evil. They're pure evil. We are the product. I try to avoid Google as much as I can. Um, there, you know, I think Zuckerberg gives uh, Google a run for their money in being evil, but they do not have our interests at heart. And you know what? Their tools aren't that great. There's other search engines. I use DuckDuckGo. I never use Google to search. Um, and they give me great results and they don't track me. I don't use the Chrome browser. I use the Brave browser that doesn't track me and doesn't throw Google ads you know, all up in my face. There's alternatives and people just don't know about them, but it's so easy to cripple these tech giants. I've been on Facebook all year. It has been the most liberating thing. Uh, January 6th, I was like, that's it. I can't handle anymore. I'm, I'm done. A totally I'm, random I'm, date, right? <laughs> yeah, totally random date. It was like a line in the sand. It was like, you know what? Um, nobody changes anybody's mind here. People are going to people and, and I'm out and, uh, it has been, I deleted it from my phone. I took it off my frequent, you know, browser things. Uh, my account is still there. I keep messenger on my phone because there's a few people who don't know how to reach me in the venues that I use now, which are telegram discord and signal. Um, I'll tweet, but I'll tweet about NFTs for the most part, because Twitter is also a crap hole, a cesspool of, uh, you know, one sided bias narrative that they're feeding people. And those who are unaware that it's being fed to them are gobbling it up as though it's the actual news and the truth. And I've had enough of it. Uh, and I am so much happier and at peace 
not keeping up with the social sites. I haven't posted on Instagram all year either. It's been wonderful. I recommend everybody try it. You don't need those sites. Yeah, don't don't hold back. Yeah, Just tell us what you really. One think. One thing this podcast <laughs> has missed is some some barn burner like Unabomber speeches against all of the modern world. So I'm, I'm glad we can check that box now. Yeah. Well, I don't say burn it all down. I mean, you know, not the NFTs. Like, it, not the NFTs. It's it's Atlas shrugged, right? It's like okay, the producers of the world, uh, they're being chased out of the states and the cities because they're being taxed to oblivion. They're like, all right, fine. I'll go to Portugal. I'll go to the Cayman Islands. I'll go to Puerto Rico. I'll go to a state, you know, that doesn't tax me in oblivion. I'll stay in the States, but I'll go to Texas, um, you know, where there is no state income tax and they're finding other ways. And those with means will find that way. So as the government tries to tax the quote unquote rich, which a lot of people don't even realize what rich means in you know in in uh, the u.s now it's not as much as you think they're going to go all right well i'm going to protect what i got me and mine and guess who's going to have to guess who's going to suffer more those that don't have so it never solves the problem yeah i feel like atlas shrugged would have played out differently if if john galt had had access to a blockchain of some sort or another yeah, and I'm not a big fan of Ayn Rand's uh, overall philosophy. I like the story, and I like the fact that you get to the point where, hey, y- you can't help people because um, bureaucrats are getting in the way of you helping them. Um, but I don't, I don't agree that you shouldn't care about those people. That was objectivism was was too inhumane for me because. In some respect, we are our brother's keeper. We do have some responsibility to uh, to take care of the needs of, you know, the sick, the poor, the elderly, the hungry, um, to give them a hand up to get on their feet so that they can take responsibility um, for, for their lives where possible. So we've spent a lot of time talking specifically about NFTs. What are some other applications just of broader blockchain technology that you're interested in? Oh, DeFi decentralized finance. I mean, this is the thing that scares the crap out of the traditional financial institutions. I mean, when was the last time a bank paid you any significant interest on your money? (laughs) It doesn't happen. Now, when you go to open up an account, not only they might charge you, it might cost you more to keep your money there in fees than the interest that they might give you, even with a, you know, a bond or, um, you know, certain certificate of deposit. They get you with these fees. And what do they do? They turn around and loan your money out and they make money with it. Uh, But with DeFi, now people are becoming their own bank. There is no central institution. They're loaning out their money through crypto to others and they're making sick gains. I mean, I can show you several sites right now where you can pull 10% annually um, USD you know, by, by using crypto and just putting your money on their platform. And that's, that's kind of a minimum. There's people, you know, when these new DeFi platforms are launching, sometimes people are making a thousand percent. Some of them last, some of them don't, but it's a, it's the wild, wild West and a brave new world. And we're seeing now DeFi also move into the realm of NFTs where you, you own certain NFTs and you can stake them. And by staking them, you're earning interest on them for staking them. Uh, There's people much smarter than me that are figuring out how to do this. I'm just happy to discover it and go, how does this work? Can can I do this? What do I need to do? Uh, Really? That's all there is to it. Now I'm earning on my money uh, interest that 
I haven't seen from a bank in my whole adult life. Sign me up. So, so that's something you're doing right now. Oh, yeah. You're, you're loaning funds yeah. out, uh, acting as sort of a financial intermediary. Yeah, basically what you do, for example, there's a, there's a, an app called um, Crypto.com. It's a pretty popular exchange and you can take some of your crypto. So let's say, for example, USDC, um, which is Coinbase, that they're the largest U.S. exchange. They have a stable coin. It's pegged to a dollar so that people can trade in and out of crypto without going to fiat currency. They can stay in crypto. And if you have USDC and crypto.com, you could say, okay, lock it up for three months, for six months or for 12 months. And it tells you specifically you're going to earn this interest on that while it's locked up. So basically you're loaning out the money that's there by locking it up because they're using the, those funds now to make money. And so that's how you do it. It's not like I go to a person and say, all right, I'm going to loan you some crypto. You just do it through these platforms and it's all automatic. Now the downside is because this is wild west, this stuff is not FDIC insured. Can anything happen? Yeah, anything can happen. Do they want to go out of business and get sued? I don't think so. Uh, so far, so good. But, you know, in this brave new crypto world, there's bound to be stories and isolated incidents of people losing their money. And of course, those are the stories that hit the mainstream news because they want to scare people from thinking for themselves. Yeah. So when it, when it comes to resolving conflict, um, uh, how, how does that happen? I mean, if somebody steals your Bitcoin, I mean, is there a court that you go to? Is there, <laughs> which, which police department do you talk to? Blockchain court. Look, I mean, you would call authorities in your region or the region where you feel like the theft took place, but you know, let's face it. Um, when you're online, people can be anonymous. And so the first of all, the key to not being ripped off with your crypto is never post your keys anywhere publicly online. Always keep control of you know your passwords and your accounts and don't store your crypto on exchanges. There's a reason they're called exchanges. They're to exchange your crypto. Keep your cryptos offline in you know in a in a cold storage wallet, a ledger, a trezor. These are all products that you can find. Don't buy them on Amazon either. Buy them directly from the manufacturer because somebody at Amazon could open up one of those, take the keys from it, reseal it to be brand new, and then it gets sold. And then they can check that wallet one day and it belongs to them because they have the keys to uh, to the kingdom. So buy them direct from the uh, the manufacturer um, but what was the question? I think I <laughs> rabbit trailed there. Oh, so, so it's about handling the inevitable conflicts that. Oh yeah. Crop up. So everything's on, first of all, think of how much money is spent with, um, banks in any fight, anything that that where there could be a dispute. I paid that bill. No, you didn't. Yeah. I wrote to just send us your canceled check. And then you yeah. do it, right? And you, you open up disputes with credit card. I didn't charge that. Yes, you did. Well, I didn't. There's a dispute. Well, with blockchain, all transactions are right there. It eliminates most support in the financial sector, most phone calls, most need for people to deal, you know, with these, these issues and they're settled immediately because you could see in the case of theft, you have to report it to the authorities, uh, you know, 
Don't be stupid with your crypto and your keys. Protect it just like you would if you had a pocket full of cash, you know, or you had a pocket full of gold. How are you going to, you know, if you're walking down the street with your, your wallet for anybody to steal it from you, they still need to know the password to get to it. Right. So on all accounts where you uh, do need security, two-factor authentication is always available with almost all of them. Don't use SMS authentication. Use uh, either Authy or Google Authenticator. As much as I hate Google, the Authenticator is secure to my knowledge. And it gives you that six digit code that you put in when you log in. So somebody could even have a password to your account, but if they don't have the authenticator code, it doesn't matter. They can't log in. So, so virtually, virtually nothing that you've said today is common knowledge. Um, to get, it will so, be <laughs> to, to get it to the point where the average person on the street understands all of this, uh, kind of the way that you do, what's the path to getting there? I mean, there's um, no, no, nobody teaching it in schools or anything. No, they should be. But, you know, let's face it, our universities have failed us now for a couple decades. They've just become uh, our, our uh, institutions of higher learning have unfortunately become indoctrination centers for, for many. Right. And especially yeah. in the liberal arts, they're not teaching people, um, you know, history and math and reading and science anymore. They're teaching them what to think. Right. They're socially engineering them to uh, to go out there and, you know, get angry about the things they say to get angry about. Um, now, this does not necessarily apply if you're going for a profession, say, you know, a doctor. Well, yeah, you need to go to college and learn how to cut <laughs> that person open. You know, a lawyer, an accountant, an engineer, right? There's places for education. But this is why I recommend to parents, don't send your kid to a high-priced university for their undergraduate degree. You know, I would say send them to a local community college, save a crap ton of money and let them work part time, right? Don't just yeah. go off and, and party your ass off. I wasted four years of education at the University of Illinois because I was too busy just having a good time on, you know, <laughs> on my dad's uh, dole there. Uh, of course, back then, you know, it was only like $4,000, you know, a semester for tuition. Uh, but still, <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, once you decide after two years what it is you want to do, if you need to go down the professional route to get to go to school, then by all means, go to the college of your choosing and and get that uh, get that degree. But they failed us on so many levels. So how do we get there? Um, I think every day I wake up and I see the news and blockchain moves forward. It never moves back. The price of Bitcoin or other cryptos can go up or down. But every day I read about another government investigating how to use blockchain in uh, in their proceedings. I read about financial institutions that are um, adopting certain technologies. I see those in the space pioneering new uses of blockchain and launching new projects and innovating. In the, and it's just growing and growing and growing. We're at the point where there's no stopping it. The only way to stop it would be to unplug the world from the internet. And if that happens, then we got some real big problems because uh, you want to see a revolt on your hands, take away people's phones, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> take away, take away their porn hub. Now you got a real problem on your hands. People are going to be super mad. Uh, so I don't see that happening because uh, that would undeniably re lead to some sort of 
totalitarian rule and serious revolution. Um, not that I am uh, calling for that in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying that, you know, millions and millions of people won't be silenced to that degree. So there's no stopping it. Uh, it's growing every day. And I think the, the other part of the adoption is that technology getting to a point where it's super easy to use where people don't think about it. I mean, I've got some credit cards and they've got this magnetic strip on them and they got this little chip on them and you go to the grocery store and they say, all right, it's $123 and 42 cents for your groceries. And I put the card in and boom, I leave with my groceries. Ask me to explain how that works. I have no idea. It just works. And that's where we will get to for mainstream adoption, where it just works and people don't have to understand these complexities and intricacies. They're going to know, oh, I'm buying this with this and this is how I do it. And now I do it. Yeah. So I've been, I've been talking about this idea of moving to the empty pockets lifestyle so that we no longer have all these these identification cards that we mm. carry around with us and keys in our pocket and things. And so the, the NFTs and all of this technology that you're talking about is leading us in that direction. Sure is. Um, I would, I would love to keep my pockets totally empty from here on out. So just mm -hmm. you touch things and everybody knows who you are and uh, then without too much intrusion. So yeah, that's, the, it's a little scary because if right. we get to the point where we're putting chips on people and we will, now you're talking, you know, mark of the beast level stuff, you know, end times <laughs> type of, uh, um, you know, that, that is frightening. Um, going cashless has its benefits and that's always how they're going to sell it is, you know, how it leads to more freedom, but the uh, power hungry and manipulative, people in the world will use it to enslave people. And uh, I don't want, I've already got a number. I've got a driver's license number and I've got a social security number. Um, you know, and, and being Jewish, my ancestors, some of them had other numbers tattooed on them. I don't ever want to be marked in that way by having it a chip in me in the name of convenience. I think there'll be huge pushback against that. You know, it's one thing to chip our animals so that they don't, you know, dumb dog doesn't run off and get lost, get run over by a car. It's another to, uh, to track people. And that is a, um, that that's where technology can become frightening. And we've all seen Black Mirror, damn it. We know how this story ends. It's not good. It's not good. So documentary um, Black Mirror. Yeah. yeah. Um, what a great show, though! It, it is a really good show. I, I haven't watched. Uh, I've only watched a handful of episodes, but we've uh, we've actually had um, a roundtable about some of the episodes. We we put one together. Well, right, the, right. The Institute. Yeah, I've actually watched all of them. I believe. Have you? Yeah. If you ever want a, another voice, I, I'd watch any of them again. I, I love those shows. I think there's so much to dig into. It's really fabulous writing. Um, there's a few of them that are throws away. I think I think uh, the it was really hard for people who started with season one, episode one. Yep. Uh, because if you watch that one, you're like, OK, I can't watch another one of these. And so I would just say, <laughs> just skip the first episode and forget it exists you don't need it once you get past that um they're all their own contained serial stories so there's not a continuation of one to another although there are some who say that the writers have written it in such a way that they all take place in a very parallel universe what would it be without some like grand conspiracy and a bunch of nerds like combing right. through each frame trying to find clues right this is why we watched lost yeah um futurama as well um, so Joel, I have a feeling that you have some final thoughts you'd like to leave us with. 
well, I, I've always got more thoughts. What do you want to know? Yeah, ask me a final question so I can give some final thoughts. So so one of the technologies Trent's working on right now is uh, with a company that is creating a search engine for blockchain. Mm. Um, and they're doing all the analytics on, on blockchains, uh, which, which I find rather fascinating because... Uh, then if there's ransomware activity taking place, they can, they can track that down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it seems like, um, this is some of the missing pieces and, and as technology matures, then we start filling in the gaps. We start, uh, understanding the uses of things in ways that we never saw before. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, this, I think ends up being, uh, some of the critical elements that, um, or overlooked by most people at the moment. Is that a question? <laughs> How do you feel <laughs> about that? <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel good. Well, just, look, there's, there's no end to the innovation that's coming. And as long as there are problems, there are people that are going to seek to solve those problems. Um, and we live in a really exciting time right now where we have a lot of problems and, uh, you know, freedom and liberty was hard fought 200 and some odd years ago in our country and is hard fought in other nations around the world. And right now there is a fight going on for uh, for the soul of liberty around the world and uh, crypto and blockchain are leading the charge for that it's going if it's going to happen is going to happen through this new technology that empowers people it is our greatest you know chance for the human race and so um, the problems are numerous some of them are around the heady issues of the day around politics and, and some of them are around just entertaining people uh, you know whatever role people play in this i think they all are a part of this this body this, you know, the Satoshi Nakamoto character who uh, allegedly created Bitcoin in, in bringing forth the spirit of what was intended uh, when the white paper was released in 2008. And for anybody who hasn't read the Bitcoin white paper, uh, Bitcoin.org, the original vision of this decentralized cryptocurrency of which there would only ever be 21 million of them and it would take a hundred years for every last one to come into existence it's a fascinating brilliant i mean you want to talk man of the century um satoshi nakamoto has got to be that person uh, the the uh if we go down the road of freedom in liberty future generations will celebrate Satoshi with statues and a holiday. If, uh, if we go down the road of um, being enslaved by this technology, then they will curse his name. <laughs> well, very good. That's a sort of somewhat ambiguous note to end on, but we appreciate it. It has been a fascinating conversation. We love your enthusiasm and your ideas. Thanks for coming on. I, I love to be ambiguous. Yeah. <laughs> that way you can't say he was right or wrong about this. Yeah. I just, There's he always said an interpretation in which Joel was correct. Yeah. He right. said words. We heard words. And that's what you know for sure. Thanks, fellas. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Much appreciated. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>